0: So last year, it was early January, I, I stepped onto the scale for the first time in a while, and I was the heaviest I had ever been in my life at that point. I just was not expecting to see it. And the reason was, is that Christmas had taken a, a toll on me. Um, just all of the, the, the parties, the gatherings, the treats that would get dropped off at the office had taken... I, well, it had changed my physique, um, and so I'd put on a little bit of weight. And I think this is a, a common thing for, for a lot of people. We, we love to eat everything that comes with the holiday season, but then come January, like, ah, I'm not in my summer body weight or whatever it is. Um, and so you might go hunting for a, a, a diet, an exercise regime, a gym membership, or some sort of equipment that you can bring into the home and it will help you lose weight and get in shape. Now, here's the thing. When you start looking for those things, whether it's the diet, a piece of equipment, you're going to see the people that they have kind of promoting it. And it's going to be some guy with like massive muscles. He's going to have a six-pack. He's going to have 0.3% body fat. Or it's going to be like some person who's like, I lost 217 pounds on this diet, and you can eat whatever you want on this diet. And you see that, and you go, man, I want that. That's exactly what I need. But then you start looking into it. And you'll see something that says, results not typical. And so what they're saying is, what you're seeing here, what we're advertising is not reality. It's, it's not a fact. There's actually quite a bit of fiction going on. And you're dreaming if you want to get results like this. But sign on up. like th- This is for you. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think sometimes um, this is what Christianity can come off as for some people. Because well, as Christians, we, we talk about the peace that you have with God. You, you might hear a pastor, a writer, a teacher talk about that. Or, or somebody will get up and they'll share their testimony and they'll say, Since I became a Christian, I've experienced such peace, such ser- serenity in my life. Now, you might get into Christianity, you might become a Christian, and then go, Well, that's not been my experience. Is, are, are these results typical? Are these people telling the truth? Or is there a bit of fiction? going on. And so here's the question I'm I'm asking. Is the peace that Christianity talks about, the the peace that Christianity promises, is that a fact or is it simply a feeling? Because if it's a fact, we might wonder why don't I feel that peace? Because I hear people talk about it and I maybe I've never felt that before. So why are they getting it and I don't? But if it's simply a feeling, what what makes that true? How do I know that's not just a little bit of, of fiction? Just because you feel it doesn't necessarily mean something's real and true. Now, Christianity, it does promise peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it looks forward to a prince of peace who would come. He would establish a covenant of peace with God's people. He would right all wrongs. He would, he would heal the world. But here's the thing. Um, it's not just relegated to the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you find that peace is a big thing eighty five times in the New Testament, the word peace occurs. every book of the New Testament has the word peace' in it. every right well, every book except for one, but every writer mentions peace. Now, peace is a major theme of Christianity, and Jesus promises his disciples peace. If you have your Bible, you can open up to John chapter fourteen we're going to be in verse twenty seven uh, You can just kind of leave it open there because that's what we're going to be working from. but Jesus says Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. And so the question is, is the peace that Christianity talks Christianity talks about is it a fact or is it simply just a feeling? Now notice in verse twenty seven, Jesus says, The peace that I give you is different than the world's peace. And so when the world speaks of peace, we tend to think of the absence of war, we think of the absence of conflict in our, our lives, and so we think of circumstances. And so we go, okay, Canada isn't at war with another nation right now, so we're living in a time of peace. Or you might think about circumstances in the house. Okay, both my kids, they're getting along this afternoon, we are experiencing a time of peace. Um, this morning, I, I was dealing with the kids by myself because Shannon had to be down here for worship practice. So I'm trying to get them ready and out the door. Wasn't going so well. They like to squabble. And so like I, I get them to the front door and I realize I haven't actually gotten myself really completely dressed at that point. I was almost about to leave. And so I run upstairs and I, I get my shirt on and I, I come downstairs and I'm rushing to get them out the door because I got to get here and take care of a few things. And I, I get them, I drop them off at the grandparents and I get here and I'm going, man, my shoes feel kind of funny. And I look down and I'm wearing two totally different pairs of shoes. Um, I had to run home and change because I just didn't want to feel ridiculous in front of all of you. But even when peace is going on, you find it's hard to concentrate. You, you, you find it's hard to get things done. So we crave peace. You might be going, I hope we have a peaceful Christmas this year. In other words, what you're saying is, I hope that when our family gets together around the dinner table, I hope when the extended family is all together, I hope when the in-laws are over, it just goes well. I hope it doesn't break out in an argument when somebody brings up uh, something about politics and the, the thing just turns sour and it goes bad. Like you might be craving a peaceful Christmas. Now the world's idea of peace is circumstantial. It's everything's going right, but it makes it fragile. And uh, uh, we've kind of been seeing a good example of that lately. In 2018, June of 2018, uh, President Donald Trump and North Korea's leader, Kim, Kim Jong-un, they met in Singapore. And this was a, a historic meeting because Washington and Pyongyang, they'd been at odds for decades over um, nuclear weapons. Now, in Singapore, these two leaders, they met, they signed a document that set out an ambitious uh, vision for a peaceful future. Now, Donald Trump, he loves to tweet, and so he gets on Twitter, and, and he, he tweets this. There is now no longer a nuclear threat from North Korea. And so I, I think a lot of the world was going, oh, wow, he, he got that done, and we kind of breathed a sigh of relief. That's good. North Korean and the states, they're playing nice. But fast forward a year and a half later, and that optimism is completely gone. Um, You see that in May of this past year, North Korea resumed uh, missile tests. They're launching them out into the ocean. They've given this hard deadline of the end of this year for negotiations with Washington. They're they're threatening this unwelcome Christmas gift if things don't go well to Washington. And they've resumed using insults when they refer to Trump. And so that that peace that we thought was there kind of vanishing, that optimism is gone. Now, the world, we crave peace, but peace is as, elu- is as elusive as it is desired. Um, it's superficial. It's it's fragile. So one wrong word, one one wrong look, a simple misunderstanding, and peace can be gone. Now, as Christians, we would say that, that, that as long as there's sin in the world, there's going to be chaos. And so there will be um, decay, there will be destruction, there will be disease, there will be death, because that's just the result of living in a broken world. World, And so it means that it's going to be hard to find peace and see peace last as the world defines it. But the world's idea of peace is only possible when trouble or conflict is absent. And in a broken world, it's never far away. And so we would say peace is fleeting in this world when it comes to how the, the world defines it. Now what does Jesus mean when he says, I give you peace Well, peace isn't simply the absence of war or conflict. The biblical concept of peace doesn't focus on the absence of trouble or or that everything's just going well. It's actually something more. It's more than circumstances. The Bible speaks of a a true peace, a peace that that lasts, a peace that takes what's broken, it restores it to wholeness, it makes it complete, whether that's your life, a relationship, or something in the world that is broken. In Luke chapter four, 2, verse 14, this is the verse where the, the army of angels appear before the shepherds in the fields the night that Jesus is born, and, and they announce that um, peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Now, this is a verse we break out every Christmas. We, we, talk, we, we put it on Christmas cards and stuff like that, and so we're kind of numb to it. We're familiar with this verse. Its meaning might get lost on us. We're going, okay, they're just wishing them a good time. But this was a declaration of peace. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it tells us that we were God's enemies because of our sin. And so what this means is that we fight against God's rule and reign in our lives. We we know what God wants us to do, the things we should do, we shouldn't do. But yet we're like, I think I know better. We, we want to be the God of our own life. And so we do what we th- want to do. And when we do that, that is rebellion against God's reign, which means, you know what, we are sinning, which scripture says puts us in the place of being God's enemy. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an enemy. Maybe the last time you had an enemy was back on the, the playground in elementary school or something. But scripture's going, you have an enemy, and I don't know what your plan was back in elementary school to deal with, with them. Maybe it was ignore them. Maybe it was spread rumors or something. But if God's your enemy, what's your plan? Like, how are you going to defeat God in any way? Because, like, you're finite. He is infinite. He is the creator. You were created. So how do you hope to win this war that you are in with God? Like, there's really no hope. Now, some people have gone, I've got it. You know what we're going to do? We're going to disbelieve God exists. God doesn't exist. Problem solved. But that, that doesn't really work. Like, that's not going to save you from the reality of your enemy. It just won't work. Like, you can't ignore the problem. And so we were in a war with God that we had no hope of winning. Now, I want to be clear on this. God wasn't concerned about losing the war to you but God was concerned about losing you. God wasn't concerned about losing the war to you, but God was concerned about losing you to that war. Our sin, our warring against God, meant we were going to spend eternity separated from God, which we would say is hell. Heaven is is God's goodness, it's his blessing, it's his presence, it's where you want to be. But hell is the full wrath of God poured out on sin it's where you don't want to be and this is kind of the situation we were in as god's enemy but romans chapter 5 verse 10 it tells us that we have been reconciled to god and saved by the death of his son jesus in colossians chapter 1 verse 20 uh, paul says god made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself essentially what that is saying is god paid for your war crimes against him through the death of his son. God dealt with your sin through his son. And so Jesus was the whole complete human you were created to be, you were intended to be, but you failed to be. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died the death we deserved, but he was also resurrected. And so the gospel says God takes his life his work, his sacrifice, he applies it to your account. And if you accept him as Lord and Savior, you are saved. That's how it's worked. And So when we say you were saved by grace through faith, we are saying God intervened in a situation that was hopeless. That's God's grace. But you were saved by the faith in that he has done it for you. And that is applied to your account. And so we would say, as Christians, Jesus is our peace. And the birth of Jesus was a clear declaration by God that he wanted peace with us. And so when when somebody accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they have peace with God. And, And that peace is a fact. It is an objective state of being reconciled to God, reunited to him. The relationship is restored to what it was intended to be. And so this is why scripture says you go from being God's enemy to being his friend, but actually more than that. It says you are adopted as his child. God takes you and he says you are now my son, you are my daughter. And this is what God has desired from the beginning. And so you are no longer at war with God if Christ is your savior. The treaty, the agreement, the covenant has been signed. Your peace with God is not fragile. It's not unstable. And so if you mess up one day, which you will, you will become a Christian and the next day you're probably gonna screw up. God's not gonna be like, it's done, war back on. No, God God is faithful. He's going to keep that covenant. God will never do anything to violate the peace that you have with him. It's, It's objective. It is done. Now, here's where somebody's gonna say, but I don't feel that peace. Should I be concerned? Like, how do I know that it's real? Now, with that in mind, think about this. There was one day, Seth came to me and he said, Jane isn't my sister anymore. Okay, okay, why is that, buddy? Well, she's annoying. She gets into my stuff and she doesn't listen to me. And I wanted to say, you just described you, um, (laughs) but I was trying to have a moment. Um, And so I, I said, well, I'm sorry, bud. Like, just because she does that, that doesn't mean you're not brother and sister anymore. Like, that is your relationship. Your feelings in the moment don't determine the reality of that relationship. And so what we feel or don't feel, that doesn't ratify, it doesn't nullify a relationship. Facts don't change based on our feelings, is another way of saying it. Think about this, if you're, if you're married, you get this. You know that there are times in your relationship where it's not always smooth sailing. You're not always clicking. There are rough patches. You, you just Sometimes you don't get along. You don't always feel it. Now, just because you're not feeling it, that doesn't change the status of the relationship. Like, hypothetical situation. It's never happened. Um, But if Shannon were to get annoyed with me um, for some reason, and she was like, ah, I'm just not feeling it. I don't like you right now. Would that change our relationship status? Would we go from being not married? Would she go on Facebook and go, it's complicated? No. Like... Yeah, she might not be feeling it, but we're still married. And later when we smooth things out, would she go back on to like married again? Oh, like congratulations. Like, that's not how it works. It's for better or for worse. Regardless of how we're feeling in that moment, we are still married. We are a couple. We are together. And so the status of a relationship doesn't change based off how we feel. And so your salvation, that's not based off how you feel. Feelings fluctuate, facts don 't our peace with God, our salvation that is based on an accomplished fact is based on jesus 's work it 's not based on how you feel now in John chapter fourteen verse twenty seven Jesus does um, promise peace to his disciples and he 's actually speaking out about a peace that you feel, the feeling of peace he 's talking about a, a subjective experiential peace that, that you sense within yourself he 's talking about a peace that you can feel even in the, the midst of the most wildly unpredictable circumstances. About peace in a situation where, where the, the circumstances are fearful. Uh, peace that you can feel when everything seems to be going wrong. Now that is the context in which it's said. Like Jesus says this in John chapter 14. And he doesn't say this when everything's going well. If, you, if you're familiar with, The context of John chapter 14, this takes place the night that Jesus is betrayed by Judas. And Jesus knows full well what's about to happen. He knows the game plan. He knows he's going to be arrested. He's going to be put through a false trial. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be nailed to a cross, and he's going to die within 24 hours or less. It's not going to be long. Jesus tells his disciples in the next chapter that the world will hate them, persecute them, and worse. In other words, it's not going to be easy for the disciples. They're going to face hard times. Now in the book of Acts um, and in Paul's writings, you see that the disciples are despised. They are arrested. They are tortured. They are stoned. They're killed. And yet, And yet, if you keep going in the New Testament writings, what you see is the disciples, the the writers, they can't keep quiet about the peace that they experience in their lives through Christ. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul calls it a peace that surpasses all understanding. He's saying this is a peace that doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective. It doesn't make sense that peace could be felt in the midst of problems and troubles that Christians go through, and yet Christians continue to describe feeling peace in the midst of need, loss, relationships, breaking down, persecution, hatred, imprisonment, and in the face of death. In 2 Timothy, Paul's writing from prison. He's, and It's not like the, the house arrest prison. It's, it's dungeon prison. And he knows, and he says it there, that I'm, the time is coming. I, I'm going to die soon. But Paul's not worrying he's not stressing about it he's actually kind of looking forward to it he's at peace with what's about to come and i've watched people christians today walk through seasons of illness or difficult circumstances with the trust in god a peace in the situation again that does not make sense from worldly a uh, worldly perspective and i I've, I've felt this peace in my own life in times um like kind of one of the most recent ones where you feel that peace that doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective was when uh, Shannon was giving birth to Jane. Like I've shared before, that day could have gone a whole lot differently. Um, Both Jane and Shannon could have lost their life just the way things were turning out. 50, 100 years ago, they probably would have. Now, I was freaking out a little bit at the first, but with some prayer, I started feeling peace. And here's the thing. I still had no idea how that was going to turn out. But yet there was a peace in that. Now I want to also say this. The feeling of peace is not a constant. There are times where I don't feel peace inside of me. Like I've lied awake in bed at night. Having those conversations that are going on in your head. And and you're going, what about this? What if this happens? But, oh, what if they do this? And you're just playing through those scenarios in your head. And a lot of us do worry about the past or the future. We worry about things that have happened and how they might affect us, or we worry about things that could happen and might affect us. And there are times where I get anxious, nervous, worried, uneasy, restless. I could keep going. Now, here's the question. Why, why do I feel those things sometimes, but yet there's other times where I've felt this peace that doesn't necessarily make sense? And the answer is right there in John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. And so as soon as he says, I give you peace, he, he, he follows that up and he says, do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. That, that is an imperative. In other words, that's, that's a command. He's telling us to do something there. And he's saying that the peace that he gives, you have to receive it, you have to apply it to your life. Now, the question we're going to go is, okay, how do I do that? Well, Jesus has given the answer earlier on in John chapter 14, verse 1, where he says, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So stress, anxiety, or worry— Here's where it's caused. It's often caused because we think that we can fix what needs fixing. We think we can control what needs controlling. Instead of believing in God, we're believing in ourselves in those situations. We believe that holding on to the issue in our mind, worrying and thinking about it enough that somehow we're going to fix it. We we think, you know what, if I just obsess about this thing, somehow I'm going to find a solution. Does that work? Some of us would say it it does, but here's what I'd say. It's probably hurting you a lot more than it's actually helping you. And and I do want to say there is a difference between uh, constructive thinking, brainstorming, problem-solving, and obsessive, compulsive, worrying about a situation and playing it out to how it's going to end so poorly now, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says that our fearing, our fretting, our dreading, our what ifing about all these things, whether it's our food, our clothing, whatever need it is. He's saying it's not actually accomplishing anything. Um, you are powerless, he essentially says. You can't even add a moment to your life. In fact, it's probably doing the opposite when you worry and stress about these things. It's probably shortening your life. Now, does Jesus leave as like, you're powerless, you're hopeless, nothing you can do? No, he goes on in those verses and, and he says, but your father in heaven knows what you need and you are of value to him. You are of value to God. In Psalm 46, one, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Now, th- that's an important verse because a lot of the time people go, I became a Christian. I shouldn't experience hardship. I shouldn't experience trouble. Why, why is this happening to me? But, but that verse there is, is saying God doesn't promise that there's not going to be conflict, there's not going to be hardship, there's not going to be difficulty. What he promises is that in the midst of those things, he is with you. He is present as a help there. In John chapter 14, Jesus promised his disciples that that they would have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And so what that's essentially saying is God is with you wherever you go. God is with you in whatever you're facing. Whatever your circumstances, you are never alone. And so while I can't control my circumstances, here's what I know. God is with me in them, and God is greater than my circumstances. So if I get sick, if I run out of money, if I lose my job, if I lose someone I love, if, 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 here's what I know. The one who knows what is best, who does what is best, who gives what is best, is working for my best in all of those situations. Peace isn't the absence of trouble. It is the presence of God. And So if you find yourself worrying about yesterday or today or tomorrow, the peace you want, the peace you crave can be found in Christ because ultimately you're worried about where these situations will leave you if they play out how you think they will. You're you're worrying about how it's going to leave you in the end if the worst case scenario happens. But in Christ, we know the ending, that those who have peace with God, they spend eternity with him. And so regardless of how things turn out, if it's for better or if it's for worse, my future is secure. That I have this guarantee that God is, is with me, God is for me, he is working for my good. And so the feeling of peace in the midst of trouble, is a byproduct of the fact that I know God is with me and God loves me. My future is safe with him. And so this is, this is the peace that Christ offers. It's, it's an objective peace, but it's a subjective peace as well, a peace that you can feel. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we, we invite you to do that. You can do that today. You can speak to me, you can speak to uh, our, our lead pastor Greg or one of the other leaders here about what that looks like, what that means. But as a Christian, your past and your future are under the care of God. He's, for, he's promised to forgive your past, whatever that past looks like. But he also pr- promises to supply your future need. But your job is to believe and trust God for today. So if you are not feeling this peace or you, you have never felt that peace, I want you to ask yourself, what is my heart fixated on? Is it on my troubles or is it on God? Who am I believing in as the solution to these things? And Jesus commands us, believe in God, believe in me. And so peace comes when our focus is off the problem and our focus is on Christ. Peace isn't the absence of trouble or conflict. Peace is the presence of God. Now, here's what I want to say. I think every person, as I said, this peace isn't a constant. And I think every person wrestles with stress, anxiety, fear, worry to some degree. But if you find yourself really wrestling with it, I just want to give you some encouragement. The first thing I would encourage you to do is take a break. You aren't God. You aren't intended to handle it all. You aren't created to go non-stop seven days a week. God commands the Sabbath for our good. To make us realize the world still goes on when we take a break. And we need that break. He's wired us for it. Also be intentional about what goes into your mind. What we fill our minds with has a profound effect about what we think about, which has a profound effect of how we envision the future or how things will play out. And so what books, what, what articles, what music, what podcasts, what um, conversations are you having with people? Are you, are you putting in to your life. And so I'm not against social media. Um, I use it, but I would also say just be mindful of that. Because social media has this, this, this thing where it, it, you start comparing yourself to other people. And you go, ah, I'm becoming irrelevant. I'm falling behind. Their life is so much better. And in reality, you're just comparing yourself to their highlight reel. But that, that, that can hurt. So be careful what you're putting in. But I would also say, don't neglect the spiritual. You, you need that. God wants what is best for you, but there's someone who doesn't want what is best for you. There's someone who would love to see you destroyed. And Satan will whisper lies about your identity, your worth, your status before God, your past, your present, your future, your hope. And it's important to recognize these things for what they are. And so this is why we would say scripture reading and prayer and community with other Christians is, is a necessity because they can help you differentiate what is, what is true from what is a lie. I would also say if there's something big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If you, can, if you can worry, you can pray. I would say that. And so we're told to cast our cares on God because he cares for us. And you can ask for peace. You can ask for healing in that prayer. I'm not saying it will abs- absolutely come, but you can still ask for it. I would also say consider getting help if necessary. If necessary. Um, There are Christian counselors, therapists, um, psychologists who, who are trained to give help. And there's no shame in asking for help if you need it. And so, if you want a referral, or like some, we can point you to some people who can help you in that way. And I would say, finally, hold on to the promises of God. Even if you don't feel it, the incarnation, the cross, the empty tomb are these objective proofs that God wants peace with you, and he has good plans for you. And one day, our feelings are going to catch up to the fact that we are known, we are valued, we are loved by God. In heaven, our feelings will match the fact that we have peace with God.